Good morning, friends. It is a pleasure and a joy to get to be here with you all this morning, get to worship the Lord with you and get to preach God's Word. If we have not met, my name, as Kyle said, my name is Joshua Chapman. I serve as a pastoral assistant at Delray Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. And so before, I know Kyle just prayed, but I'm going to pray again. And so before we go any further, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy towards us in Christ. Lord, even the song that we just sung, the fact that you, your son rose in the grave and death are conquered, and how you have saved us, Lord. You have lavished your grace upon us in Christ. Lord, as we come to read your word and hear your word preached, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we would behold Christ, that we would marvel at your grace and the definite plan that you had to deliver your son up for our salvation. Father, we pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. Fill me with your spirit. Speak through me, Lord, and may Christ be exalted. May your church be built up. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 18. We'll be in verses 28 through 40 as you guys continue your series through the Gospel of John. And so, friends, one thing about me is... I love to watch movies. I'm a huge movie fan. And one of the movies that I love, I love the series, uh, the Mission Impossible series. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it for you. The last one was really good. But, but one of the things that I love about this series is that usually going towards the end of the movie, it seems as if Ethan and his team, it seems as if they are losing and that all hope is lost. And it is in these scenes to where the villain, he has an appearance of being in control and he, he or she, they begin to unfold their plan, not knowing that Ethan's team planned for it to be exactly the way that it is going. Like their appearance of control and they begin to, to share is the exact thing that Ethan and his team wanted. And in fact, the villain believing that they are in control and as they talk, about their plans is the very thing that Ethan and his team will use to save the day. And friends, that is exactly what is happening in this passage, except on a much grander scale where you have Jesus on trial and about to be crucified. It looks as if he is not in control and, is a, and that he is about to be defeated. But what neither the Jews nor Pilate know is that God, what God is doing in this very moment and all these things that's happening, God is going to use as the very means for which Jesus will take away the sins of the world. You see, God had this whole thing planned out. And is it going exactly the way that he planned? And it's going to be the means by which Jesus will save his people from their sins. And so for context, we're in the last few hours of Jesus' life. Before he is crucified, he has been arrested. He's been questioned by Annas. He's been questioned and by Caiaphas. And, and Peter has denied him three times, which brings us to our text this morning. And so I know you guys, I know we've been standing. But if you can stand one more time for the reading of God's word. 
John chapter 18, verses 28 through 40, and it reads this. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered the, gov- so Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You may be seated. So the big idea for this passage, it is this. In fulfillment of God's plan to save his people, King Jesus is rejected, questioned, and delivered over to die. I'll say it again. Our big idea for this passage is this, that in fulfillment of God's plan to save his people, King Jesus is rejected, questioned, and delivered over to die. And we're going to walk through this passage. We're going to see three scenes in this passage. So the first scene is we're going to see the king rejected. The second scene is the king questioned. And then the third scene is that the king delivered over to die. And so the first scene, the king rejected. In verse 28, it says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. And so in this passage, um, for context, we don't have much, we don't have in the Gospel of John uh, where Jesus was actually at Caiaphas' house. But we know that Jesus was there, he was led there and bound in chains, and then from Caiaphas' house, Jesus is led to Pilate, to the governor's headquarters. You see, um, during this time, Pilate, what he would do, what his custom is, is that he would travel to Jerusalem during the times of high feast. You see, it was around the time of the Passover, so he would travel there. He would travel there to make sure that there will be no disturbance that takes place, that there will not be any riots. And so Pilate, he is in Jerusalem, and the Jews know this. The chief priests and the Sanhedrin and the guards, they, they take Jesus bound in chains to Pilate. And it says that as they go there, that they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. 
You see, they brought Jesus there, but they did not go in. And the purpose is that so that they would not be unclean, so that they could actually celebrate the Passover. And so the thing was, uh, it was believed back then that, that the Gentiles, sadly, they would bury their aborted babies in their homes. And so for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile to where it is unclean and they could not touch anything dead. For if they touched anything dead, they would be unclean for seven days. And that is the very reason why they did not go into the house, because they, they wanted to celebrate the Passover. They wanted to be ceremonially clean so they can partake in the Passover. And the thing about the Passover, it is uh, this, this remembrance as they reflect and see how God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. Back in the book of Exodus, we see that the children of Egypt, they were in bondage in Egypt, but God had came through, God had came, he delivered Israel through Moses, and the last plague was the plague of the birth, the death of the firstborn son. And the thing is, in this particular plague, it was not necessarily specifically for Egypt. You see, it was the Jews, too, who were guilty of sin. There was judgment that was coming for sin. And in order for judgment to not occur, that would be displayed in the killing of the firstborn son, they had to take a spotless lamb, and they had to slaughter it and put the blood on the doorposts. And as they did that, that very night, the angel of death, he would pass over Every house where there was blood covering, and the houses that did not, he would strike the firstborn son. And so God used that as a means to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt to bring them, go, have them go on their way into the promised land. And so this is the celebration. The Lord commanded them to continuously celebrate the Passover every year. And so they did not want to defile themselves by entering into Pilate's headquarters. They wanted to partake of the Passover. But the ironic thing is, though they wanted to be clean outwardly, though they did not want to go into Pilate's house, Pilate's headquarters, so that they can be clean and celebrate the Passover, one of the ironic things is they are willing to manipulate Pilate so that Jesus will be killed. They are so focused upon being outwardly clean, and yet they are disobeying one of the laws that they have been given to see to it that an innocent man is killed. You know, see, friends, this is, this is self-righteousness at its core. You know, wanted to have this appearance, outward appearance of, of godliness, and yet inwardly rejecting the Lord. Inwardly, our hearts, your heart is far from him. And friends, it may be easy for us to look down upon these Jewish leaders and look down upon these Jews in doing so, but we are very much capable of doing the very same thing. We want to be seen outwardly as holy and godly, and yet we are neglecting the commands of God in our very own heart, disobeying him. And so that is, that is what is going on right here. And then in verse 29, it says that Pilate goes outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? You see, Pilate, he, he sees Jesus being brought to him as this criminal, as arrested. And so he wants to know what are the charges? What has Jesus done to deserve some type of judgment from the Romans? And notice how the Jewish crowd responds in verse 30. They say, they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, 
we would not have delivered him over to you. You see, notice how they evaded Pilate's question by being so vague. They did not declare the accusation. They only said that Jesus has been doing evil. Though it is not their accusation, though it is not stated here, their actual reasons for delivering Jesus up is theological. You'll see next week, but, but the reason that they are bringing Jesus is because Jesus has declared himself to be the Son of God. And they have rejected this claim about Jesus. They actually believe that Jesus is blaspheming, and so they are bringing, they are bringing Jesus to Pilate. But the thing is, they know that if they say this to Pilate, this accusation would not stand. Pilate would not judge Jesus based upon that. And so the way that they actually appeal to Pilate, as you will see next week, is they appeal to him politically, saying that Jesus declares himself to be the king of the Jews. So their reason is actually theological, but they're masking it as political because they want Jesus to be killed. And so verse 31, Pilate said to them, in response to their vague answer, he says, take them, your, take them yourselves and judge him by your own law. And so Pilate knows that they are being general. And what Pilate does is that, man, if you're not going to actually give me a specific charge, then I'm not going to judge him. You guys can judge Jesus by, in your own courts. But look in verse 31 also and see how the Jews responded. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And so the Jews tell Pilate that it is illegal for them to put Jesus to death by capital punishment. That's exactly what they're getting at when they say put anyone to death. They're referring to capital punishment. And the thing is that only the Romans could punish someone by capital punishment. And so that's what they are appealing to. Right? You see, friends, they've already attempted. If we in throughout the gospel, you guys may have seen that they have already attempted to stone Jesus. But the thing is here, they don't want Jesus to be stoned. They want Jesus to be put on the tree. And the reason why they want Jesus to be put on the tree, as I said, because they believe that he is blaspheming, declaring himself to be the Son of God. And what is on the back of their minds is that if they put Jesus on the tree, they will show the world what they actually believe about Jesus. You see, putting him on a tree is an indication what they believe about Jesus. They will believe that he is a curse. And the way that they would show that is because Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23 would say this, for a hanged man is cursed by God. And so they do not believe that Jesus is the son of God. They have rejected that claim. And this is the culmination of their rejection, that they want him to die by capital punishment. They want him to be crucified because sadly they do not see that he is the son of God. Verse 32, John goes outside of the text and he begins to give commentary. He would say this, verse 32, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus has spoken to show by what kind of death he is going to die. Friends, that word fulfilled, that word fulfilled, it occurs twice in John 18. You see, in John chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus' words, words are fulfilled because as he is arrested, it says that he made sure that not one of his disciples he lost. He was the only one to be arrested. But in this verse right here, what he's getting at is that Jesus' words are being fulfilled by way that he has already spoken of 
to show by the way that he will die. You see, friends, in, in John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, it reads this. Jesus, he's talking about his death. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You see, Jesus knew that he was going to die. And this knowing that he was going to die is not like how you and I know that we're going to die. You see, you and I know that we're going to die because we're sinners and, and death comes to all men because all have sinned. But the way that Jesus knows he's going to die is that was the very purpose of him coming. And not only does he know that he's going to die, he knows the way that he's going to die. He said that when I am lifted up, signifying that he is going to be lifted up on an old rugged cross. But not only does Jesus know that the way that he will die, Jesus knows what he is going to accomplish when he dies. He says that when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. You see, Jesus' death, the purpose of it is to bring about salvation, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for all who would believe in him. Friends, Jesus is in complete control. Jesus knows that what is going to happen to him. This is not happening to, this is not happening to him by chance. It is purposeful. And friends, also, do we see that like Scripture, Jesus' words are being fulfilled? And so we see in the first section that the king has been rejected, and the culmination of it is that they want him to die. Secondly, we're going to see the king question. And so in this section, in verses 33 through 38a, this is the only gospel record that records an extended, this is the only gospel that records an extended conversation between Jesus and Pilate. In this section, we're going to see Pilate ask Jesus four questions. And also in this section, we're going to see the word king and kingdom occur seven times, which helps us see what this section is all about. Verse 33, Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? This is question number one. And so Pilate goes into his headquarters and he begins his interrogation. And the first thing he says, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? The thing that Pilate is getting at right here is that Pilate wants to know if Jesus is this revolutionary political threat to Caesar's rule. And in verse 34, we see Jesus. He answers Pilate's question with the question. Verse 34, he says, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Friends, notice that Jesus didn't deny him being the king of the Jews. In fact, it appears that Jesus is curious on what is sparking Pilate's question. You see, if, if Pilate is asking of his own accord, then he may perceive that Jesus is a political threat. And Jesus wants to be clear that no, he is not that type of king. But if Pilate is asking because Pilate was told that he is the king of the Jews by the Jews, which signifies a different type of kingship. You see, this, this phrase, the king of the Jews, it is, is reference to this messianic king which the prophets spoke about in the Old Testament whom the Jews have been anticipating. You see, ever since sin entered into the world, in the Old Testament, it has been promised that someone is coming, 
And as the revelation of the Old Testament unfolds, it begins to be more and more specific on who this person will be. You see, he will be of the tribe of Judah. He will be of the son of David. He will be this messianic king who will reign eternally and bring peace. And if that's the case, if Pilate is getting at that, what Jesus is saying is that, yes, Jesus is that king. Verse 35, Pilate responds. Pilate answered to Jesus' question, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And so Pilate's question, it is sarcastic in nature because it is evident that Pilate is not a Jew. And so obviously Pilate's like, why would I confess you to be the king of the Jews? You see, Pilate is getting at that your own people are opposing you. Your own people have rejected you. And so what have you done? Pilate is trying to figure out why is it that Jesus is standing before him? Why did the Jews bring him to Jesus, bring Jesus to him? In verse 36, Jesus gives an answer. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. You see, friends, Jesus declared to be king in this verse by talking about his kingdom. And here he describes his kingdom by by stating what it is not. So Jesus is saying that, yes, I am the king of the Jews, but not the type of king that you may think. You see, Jesus emphasizes the fact that that he is king because three times in this verse, you see the phrase, my kingdom, my kingdom, my kingdom. And so he is saying that his kingdom, it is not like Caesar's kingdom or any other worldly kingdom. He is not trying to overthrow Caesar by military force and establish his own kingdom in this way. His kingdom is no physical threat to Caesar. You see, if, if it was, he would say it shows that his servants would have been at war against the Jews to keep him from being delivered over by the Jews. You see what Jesus says, that his kingdom is not that type of way, but, but this is how his kingdom is. His kingdom, it is spiritual. It is not worldly, sinful, and temporary. His kingdom, it is heavenly. It is eternal. His kingdom is the unchallenged rule and reign of God. His kingdom is not of this world, but his kingdom will certainly impact his world, friends. His kingdom will renew the world, and his kingdom, it will advance through the church. It will advance through the world by the church, proclaiming the gospel and people turning from their sin and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as people do that, they will be brought into his kingdom. You see, through Jesus' kingdom, Sinners are being freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have been delivered from the domain of darkness and have been transferred into his kingdom where we who are in Christ are no longer in rebellion to Christ and in bondage to sin, but we have been liberated by Christ that we may obey our king. And in his second coming, His kingdom will be consummated where he will make all things new. And so, yes, his kingdom, it is not of this world, but his kingdom will certainly impact the world. And one day it will 
renew the world and all things that the sin has affected. And so Pilate, he hears Jesus' words, and then verse 37, he responds in this way. So you are a king. So Pilate hears Jesus talk about his kingdom, and he comes to the conclusion, oh yeah, you say that you're a king, so you are a king. But notice how Jesus responded. Verse 37, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And so what Jesus says right here, Jesus is like, those are your words, not mine, but I'm not going to deny it either. Because Jesus is a king. He is the king of the Jews. And then he goes on and he begins to talk about his very purpose. He says, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that, Ju- that Jesus refers to his birth. In fact, this, this verse right here, this language, it communicates his preexistence. The fact that he is the eternal word. And it communicates his incarnation on how the word became flesh. He says, for this very purpose, I have come into the world. Im- implying that he is not of this world. That he is the eternal word of God who came into the world. And the very purpose that he came was to do what? To bear witness to the truth. What is the truth that he is bearing witness to? The truth is that he is the king of the Jews, that he is the eternal one, that he is God in the flesh, the son of God, the very things that he has been proclaiming all throughout the book of John. That is the truth that he claimed that he came to bear witness to. And then he says, and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You see, Jesus, he came to proclaim this truth so that everyone can hear it. And those who are of the truth, the people who relate rightly to God, who believe that Jesus is all that he said, all who he says he is. Those are the ones who are of the truth and those are the ones who have eternal life. You see, those who are of the truth are his sheep because they are because they listen to his voice. And he said that my sheep listens to my voice. You see, right here, friends, Jesus divides the entire world up into two categories, those who are of the truth and those who are not of the truth. And those who are of the truth, they have eternal life. They are saved. And the way that we can know that those who are, uh, the way we can know one from the other, the way we can know that those who are of the truth is by how one responds to Jesus. It is by do we listen to his voice? Do we believe the very claims that he made, that he is the Son of God? And so, friends, my question for you this morning, are you listening to Jesus' voice? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Because if you do, then you are of the truth and you have eternal life. And then Pilate, he asks His fourth and final question, verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And so Pilate here, sadly, he doesn't respond with asking Jesus to tell me more. In fact, his very question, it it alludes to and implies that Pilate is not of the truth. You see, Pilate, he he asks what is truth, not knowing that that truth in bodily form is right before him. 
that God in the flesh is standing right here before him. The very one who said that, that he is the way, the truth, and the life that he is the only way to the Father, is standing right before him. And so Pilate dismisses the very claim that Jesus said that he came to bear witness to the truth because Pilate says, what is truth? And so Pilate's interrogation has ended. We see that the king has been questioned. Pilate asks no further questions. And then Pilate goes outside. And here we're going to see the king delivered over to die. Verse 38b. It says, After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. And so Pilate, he goes outside and he tells the Jews, pretty much he tells them, I disagree with y'all. <laughs> you guys believe that he is deserving of capital punishment? Well, from my interrogation, I believe that he's innocent. And yet, although Pilate believes that Jesus is innocent, well, we see that he did not release Jesus. In fact, verse 39, he goes on. He says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And so Pilate doesn't release Jesus. Pilate keeps Jesus, and Pilate begins to ask this question. He, uh, John shows that, that they have this custom every year at Passover, and, and it's only mentioned here, but it's alluded to in the other three gospel accounts of this custom. And so Pilate, he asks them, who do you want me to release? Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Do you want me to release to you Jesus? And Pilate actually wants Jesus to be released, and you're going to see that next week a little bit more. But, but Pilate is willing to release Jesus, but it's all dependent upon the Jews' decision. Verse 40, how did the Jews respond? It says that they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. And so their response to Jesus was to not release, their, their response to Pilate was to not release Jesus, but to release Barabbas. And then look at the commentary once again that, that John gives about Barabbas. He says, now Barabbas was a robber. You see, the Jews, they were willing and they wanted a guilty robber to be released from the condemnation that he deserves. They are willing to bypass judgment against a, a guilty man in order to have Jesus crucified. You see, Barabbas, it says that he is a robber, but, but uh, down low, uh, other versions, it would say an insurrectionist. One who, who started this political revolt against Pilate's, not Pilate, but against Caesar's rule. And see, the Gospels, it has much to say about Barabbas. You see, Matthew says that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. Mark says that, that Barabbas, he had committed murder in the insurrectionist. Luke says that he was thrown in prison for an insurrection, started in the city, and for murder. And John says that he is a robber. And so as you put all four of these things together, what it screams is that Barabbas is guilty. That Barabbas is the one who is deserving of capital punishment. And the ironic thing about this is that they are accusing Jesus for being an insurrectionist when it's actually Barabbas who is an insurrectionist. 
You see, they are willing to bypass judgment and the rightful judgment that Barabbas deserves so that they can put it all on Jesus because they believe that he is blaspheming. You see, right here, they, they are willing for the guilty to go free so that the innocent one can be condemned. And friends, as we, as we read this, what a picture it is. What a picture it is that, that guilty Barabbas is getting to go free. And it may be easy for us to look at this and, and to, to, you know, shake our heads, but, and the real, but the reality is, friends, we have all had a Barabbas experience. For those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ, we have all experienced the very same thing that Barabbas experienced. You see, we are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. Yeah, I may not have led a revolt and committed physical murder, but I have revolted against and rebelled against and was in glad rebellion against the God of the universe who is holy and righteous. And I, too, deserve the punishment for my sin. I deserve to be killed, murdered, condemned, and suffer eternal punishment for my sin because I have sinned against the holy and just God. You see, what Barabbas received physically, all who are in Christ, we receive spiritually because we have been condemned of sin, and yet the condemnation for our sin did not fall upon us. It fell upon the innocent one, the eternal Son of God, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the one who is from eternity past, who created the world. He is the one with whom the judgment of sin fell upon. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 was summarized in this way. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so, friends, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you too have had a Barabbas experience where your sins and the judgment for your sin did not fall upon you, but it rolled upon the Son of God, where you being guilty of sin and deserving it, you didn't get that, but you got his righteousness by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because his sin, because his blood was shed. The innocent one died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, that we may be reconciled to God. You see, friends, we have experienced the very same thing that Barabbas experienced. And all of this was according to God's plan. And let's go back to verse 32, where it says this. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You see, friends, all this that was taking place, it was planned. It was purposeful. It was God's will. You see, God was using these very things as a means by which that, that Jesus will save his people from their sins. You see, this was part of the sovereign purpose of God to bring about salvation. Friends, the Jews, they wanted Jesus to die on a tree for him to be viewed as a curse, not knowing that, that this will be the means that the Passover lamb will take away the sins of the world. They wanted to celebrate the Passover, not knowing that the true Passover lamb is about to die on the cross for sin to save his people. It was through him being put on the tree 
that he would bear the curse of sin, the judgment that we rightfully deserve. And three days later, he will resurrect from the grave. And by grace, all who repent and believe will be reconciled to the Father, will be forgiven, and will be saved. And so we will close on this verse. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 23. Listen how Peter describes all the events that's taking place in John 18 and 19. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. Peter would say this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works, and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And in verse 24, God raised him up. You see, friends, they crucified Jesus, but all of this was taking place according to God's definite plan. You see, God had a plan to bring about salvation. And the way that it will have to be about is through his son, the sinless one, perfectly obeying all the way to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he will be crucified by the Jews. But what God is doing in that moment is that he is pouring out his judgment upon Jesus so that the judgment that we rightfully deserve, we can be declared righteous, we'll be forgiven of our sins so that he will not pour that upon us, but, uh, but declare us righteous. Give us Jesus' righteousness, where we stand before God, not as sinners, but as holy and blameless. And so this is the purpose. This is the purpose of the cross. This is what God was doing. And so, friends, if you are here today and you know yourself to not be a Christian, I strongly implore you to turn from your sin and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. That he is the son of God who became man and that he died on the cross, not for his sin because he was sinless, but he died on the cross for sin and three days later resurrected from the grave. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then your sins will be forgiven and you will have eternal life. You will have this Barabbas experience where you who will be guilty will, will go free because the innocent one died and resurrected from the grave. I have a few applications for us and for those who are in Christ. Application number one, may we marvel that our king came to bear witness to the truth and to die in our place and for our sins. May we marvel at that. May we not forget that. May we continuously meditate on this, that the eternal one came to die to save us. But number two, seeing that Jesus, he had suffered at the hands of lawless men and that he died, may we too, ready our, may we too be ready and willing to suffer for Jesus' name's sake. You see, John, in John 15, Jesus said that, that those who follow him, that the world would hate them because they hated Jesus. And Paul will say this in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. He says, for it has been granted to you that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his name's sake. And so as Jesus suffered by the hands of lawless men, may we who are Christians also prepare ourselves and be ready and willing to suffer 
for the Son of God. And then application number three. May we who are in Christ anticipate the return of our King or he will return and consummate his kingdom where all things will be made new. You see, as I said earlier, friends, his kingdom, it is not of this world, but it will certainly impact the world. And one day when he returns, he will renew all things to where there will be no more sin or be no more crying, no more weeping. All things will be made new. The curse will be reversed and it will be the world will be purified and the redeemed will be with him for all of eternity. This is the direction of all human history. This is where it is going. And so we who are in Christ, may we anticipate that. May we long for it. May our prayers be, come Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your ways are not our ways, as we read earlier, and we see in this passage that according to your definite plan, you sent your Son to die on an old rugged cross to save sinners, that his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins for those who will believe in Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have brought us into his kingdom. All by your grace, we don't deserve it. And so, Father, as we reflect, may we worship you because of your love. May we worship you in response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be a people who anticipate his glorious return. May we long for his return. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.